0: Welcome to the elite HRV podcast, where experts share their experience using heart rate variability and other biomarkers to optimize health and human performance. Welcome back to the Elite HRV podcast. Today, we've got Chris Kelly of Nourish, Balance, Thrive. And Chris, I've known for several years now. I think we originally connected at the Ancestral Health Symposium, maybe like... 2014. 2014. There you go. Um, So three years. Uh, uh, That's awesome. Time flies. I really appreciate... uh, I've been on your podcast actually years ago now, and I appreciate you coming
1: and joining us here today. Well, thank you for having me. It's a privilege.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, we were just chatting before and said that uh, over the past couple of years, both of our uh, businesses and what we've been up to have really evolved a lot. And uh, Nourish, Balance, Thrive has definitely evolved a lot. So, uh, you know, maybe give folks a a quick uh, about your background and about Nourish, Balance, Thrive. Who are you? What do you do? That type of thing.
1: Sure. Sure. I still identify as a computer programmer, even though as a small business owner, I, as I'm sure many people listening to this will be small business owners, and they, they identify with the idea that you have to wear many hats, right? You're not just what you want to be all of the time. Uh, but the, the reason I got into this um, was probably 2013. So when I first went to that Ancestral Health Symposium, when I met you, all of this stuff that happened to me was, was quite fresh in my mind. It was quite recent. Um, So the short story is I was working as a computer programmer in London and Yahoo brought me across to the US, fell in love with the super active West Coast lifestyle here in Silicon Valley, got into mountain biking, got competitive, got a coach, started training really hard, realized I had some talent, you know, I was winning races, uh, upgrading, everything's going great, I'm having a really good time. And then, and then uh, the wheels started to come off the wagon and I was suffering from a lot of fatigue during the day, like more Mm -hmm. than was reasonable for the amount of training that I was doing. Insomnia. I could sleep at any time during the day, but not at night. I was hungry all the time. When I checked my blood glucose, I was diabetic, 120 milligrams per deciliter, fasting first thing in the morning, very consistently, which is... Pretty crazy for someone that my coach measured my body fat once with callipers, skinfold callipers, and he, he couldn't measure anything. He said, it's, it's 3% or less. I don't know. These, these callipers, <laughs> like they won't measure it. Um, zero sex drive, a lot of GI symptoms like gas and bloating, diarrhea. And so I did what anyone would do. I went to my primary care doctor and said, hey, what's wrong with me? And he said, well, you're an athlete. What did you expect? And he wrote me a prescription for Viagra. And then he sent me to a gastroenterologist and the gastroenterologist was worse than useless. They were darn right harmful. I would say at this point, I'd love to go back and meet that gastroenterologist and say, Hey, you should really check out the paleo diet. <laughs> really? You should. Um, <laughs> and luckily, you know, it was just by chance. I can't remember exactly. I think I was listening to a lot of podcasts at that time. And I think I heard Joe Friel or someone like that, but it was the paleo diet for athletes by Joe Friel. And Lauren Cordain was the first book that I, ro- I read. And that was super helpful to me. And then around about that same time, I met the woman who is now my wife, Julie, and she just finished a master's degree in food science. And she'd reached this fork in the road that all food scientists do. What are you going to do? Are you going to be a nutritionist or are you going to be a flavor chemist? And she didn't really fancy either of those two options because she didn't think she'd help people with either of those two things, right? If you're working in a government institution, you have some very strict guidelines on what you can prescribe. And she didn't like those guidelines. And I was just dating at that time and she said, oh, you should really try this strict elimination diet, you know, on top of the paleo thing you've already had pretty good results with. And that was amazing. It was the autoimmune paleo diet that I tried and it was really amazing. And not just in terms of the way that I felt, but also in blood markers. So I was tracking something called high sensitivity C-reactive protein which is a non-specific marker of inflammation. And that came down from about seven to 0.5 in a very short period of time, like two weeks. And so that was amazing. And, you know, at that point you start thinking, well, shit, what else is possible? You know, what else could I do here? And, you know, listening to more podcasts, found a functional medicine practitioner, did a whole bunch of tests, many of which we use in our practice today, found a whole bunch of problems, overgrowth of opportunistic pathogens, yeast, uh, a pinworm infection, a protozoan parasite, took a whole bunch more supplements, (laughs) fixed all those problems, felt about as good as I did through the elimination diet again on top of that. And then I'm thinking, well, blimey, how many other athletes might have been affected by what I've been through? And so I, I went onto a podcast with one of my friends who was a local medical doctor and also a pro mountain biker, and we talked about what had happened to me. And then the medical doctor, Jamie, she talked about what it's like to be a primary care doctor. It sucks, right? You get um, a seven-year education, $250,000 of student debt. You start your job on day one. You're going to see 30 patients that morning. You've got seven minutes to fix each of them. I mean, mean, how can you do that? It's not possible. So (laughs) there was a kind of yin and yang to our story. And a whole bunch of people came forward to us and said, give me the diet, give me the tests, just I want to do what you did, fix me like you fixed yourself. And that was what launched the business. And so that was over three years ago now. And we've worked with over a 1000 athletes. And we're just having a blast. It's like, you know, I found my passion. It's, It's so much fun.
0: Wow, that's an incredible story. And actually, you know, I'd picked up some of those details along the way uh, throughout our friendship. And mm. uh, one of the neat things about these podcasts is I get to uh, ask a friend, "Hey, tell me your whole story. I want to hear all of it." And I didn't know some of that about you. just yeah. there's a lot, uh, a lot to that story. And um, some of the things that s- stick out in my mind are just kind of. Uh, conversations that I've had with listeners and uh, users and other people in this kind of quantification realm is that two things uh, stand out is that one is early on you were already tracking some things. And I know that tracking is like a big part of what you do in your program today. Right, And so you were able to kind of see like that C-reactive protein come down really quickly was like a powerful indicator for you. Um, And then the other thing is that When you were, you said like you had this really amazing feeling of transformation when you finally found that stricter elimination diet for the autoimmune uh, paleo. And then you had it again uh, when you went through with the functional medicine doctor and started really isolating some of those nagging issues. And the funny thing about that is that um, before you actually found out and flipped those switches, it's like when you're in that phase of uh fatigue or in that re- reduced state of health yeah. you don't really know like how good you can feel right. at the at the right. next phase right Yeah that's such a good um, point Yeah so it's just kind of interesting that you you, know, you didn't even stop after that first uh elimination where you're like okay I feel like a hundred times better or whatever. And then you went on to find that there was more stuff and you were able to do it again. And so it's like, right. uh, it's just kind of a, a a note for people listening to like also uh, realize that when you're in the moment uh, it's sometimes it's hard to tell whether or not things are running optimally because it took a long time for you to get to that point. And he's usually gradual. Uh,
1: so Yeah, absolutely. And we see that all the time now with our clients is you just don't know what you don't know. And my perfect story to illustrate this point is getting laser eye surgery done. I've been a, a glasses and contact lens wearer for many, many years. And then one day I went to see some eye doctor in San Francisco and he literally fixed my eyesight in a 20-minute period. Like, And then, you know, it's kind of blurry when you first have it done. And then you wake up the next morning and you can see perfectly and you're not wearing your contact lenses. And it's 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 an emotional experience. It really is. You can't describe it to someone who's not never had a problem with their eyesight. And then the next day, you've completely forgotten about it. It's just the new norm, right? And you don't think about it ever again. I found that over and over again with my health. You know, you think you're doing great and then you find the next thing. And then you feel even better and it leaves you wanting more. The difficulty comes when you run out of things, right? You're literally doing it all. And then Mm -hmm. it can become a stressor that you don't realize that there probably isn't much more out there for you. And then if you continue to seek it, you can maybe start backsliding because you're constantly worried about missing out on something. So it's, it's a difficult and amazing thing at the same time. Yeah, there's.
0: I mean, there would be diminishing returns for sure, exactly. and it's it's exactly it's hard to. Uh, it be. I mean, just going off your LASIK eye surgery example, it would be like saying like getting LASIK every few weeks just to like <laughs> yeah, <doesn't>. you know <laughs> improve it like uh, a tiny fraction more or something like that. It's like obviously getting LASIK. You know, the the scar tissue or the stress of doing that would have quickly diminishing returns most likely after just the first
1: time but um so So another point about the lasik eye surgery is that i wonder now if i'd have seen todd becker's presentation that he gave at ahs 14 whether i even needed the surgery right so maybe you could link to this in the show notes todd becker's presentation on print pushing to correct his myopia which i think i should have tried before i did the surgery but hey it's too late now
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you live and learn. But luckily, the thing with LASIK is there's a lot of positive supporting evidence and not too much on the negative side, at least Mm. from what I seen. That's true. That's very true. um, But yeah, that is a great. I'll definitely include that link. Uh, I have to say as a personal anecdote as well that my wife got LASIK, uh, I think, around the time we started dating. And she uh, had the same, like, emotional. It was just like she would reach over for her contacts and be like, Oh, they're not there. And, uh, <laughs> um, but anyways, it's so, um, so kind of coming back around to, uh, your, your story of your personal transformation and also working with the thousands of athletes over the past few years, um, nourish, balance, thrive is kind of the business that emerged from that story. Right. And, uh, so, uh, how is Nourish Balance Drive structured? What, how does that work? Because I know you have a team of people that you uh, operate with.
1: Yeah, it's very interesting the way that we're structured, I think, that we're not what you might consider to be a clinic. So, you know, I mentioned Jamie is a traditionally trained medical doctor. And then about, um, it was probably less than a year, actually, after I started the business that Dr. Tommy Woods came along Tommy is another traditionally trained medical doctor. He has an undergraduate degree in biochemistry. He's just finished his PhD in neonatal neuroprotection. And he's been a sports and fitness enthusiast his entire life. And I've never met someone with such a voracious appetite for knowledge. He reads and listens to everything, podcasts, scientific papers, you name it, he's consuming it. And when he came along, it changed everything. It really did. And, you know, I've met and spent some time with Tommy in person, but for the most part, we're communicating using an internet chat application called Slack, which totally transformed my business too. I mean, posting scientific papers and discussing them and having the whole team come to a consensus so it doesn't matter who you talk to, you're still going to get the same consistent answer has been Absolutely incredible. And this, this Slack community that I now run includes you know, two, registered, two registered nurses, one of whom, Amelia Luca, has again been instrumental in building the business into what it is today. And then my wife, who I mentioned earlier, the food scientist, she is now coaching the athletes on their diet. We've recently had a very brilliant neurologist who was also presented at the Ancestral Health Symposium. Josh Turnkit uh, presented on the migraine as the hypothalamic distress signal. And he has a website called My Migraine Miracle. And it really isn't an exaggeration. Josh really does perform migraine miracles. And he is also contributing a great deal in our, in our slack these days. So there's no bricks and mortar presence anywhere. You can't come and see us in person we do all of the testing, blood chemistry, urinary organic acids, urinary hormones, stool testing. It's all done at home. You FedEx the samples into the lab. Please don't send me your shit. It doesn't work like that. You send it to the lab, not to me. I don't perform the mass spectrometry. So you send it all in to the lab and then the results come back to us electronically. And then, you know, we'll do a little jamming session on Slack. know what do we think about this guy you're going to do some health assessment questionnaire some intake information and then i get the person onto some video conferencing software called zoom that's been really really good and we'll go through all of the data i do my very best job to teach the person what the results mean so they can really own that information and i find that once the person owns that information they're highly motivated to make some change so that when we do the retest, which is part of our program, we see what we want to see, right? We see not only an improvement in the person's symptoms and their performance, but then also in the biomarkers that we've tested. So I think it's quite a novel way of working. And I, I have not come across anyone doing quite the same thing. No, I mean,
0: that's that's fantastic. There's a, I have a couple thoughts of that. One is you could have a new business model where... You know, people talk about doing train the trainer. Once you start getting like a successful model, and then you can, uh, you know, train other people to use that model. Well, what you could do is just license people to be a fly on the wall in your
1: Slack. <laughs> yeah, we <laughs> I just, you know what? so we're thinking about this at the moment that that now we get a lot of especially the medical doctors, like so people like Jamie who are stuck in a job that's really not helping people. They don't really like what they do they don't approve of the drugs that they're forced to prescribe and they they want to they want something different they still want to help people but they want to do something different and so that's a question that we've been thinking about is how can we uh, train other doctors to do what it is that we do
0: yeah that's uh i mean <laughs> a total uh discussion in and of itself, but it I was just thinking is, yeah. as you were saying that, I was like, man, I would love to <laughs> sit sit in that Slack and just see the interaction because it sounds like such a powerful team and that, you know, I know for sure I've seen uh, that y'all get people great results. So, that's a, I guess I, we'll have to, for now, um, settle for just extracting it all out of you in these <laughs> podcast type That's okay. Uh, I'm willing scenarios. to tell you about anything. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, So you said, um, uh, so a couple things that we're going to drill into. One is kind of like who your audience is or who your uh, typical customers are and like what the problems they're trying to solve are. So that way people listening can maybe relate to that. Um, and then the other thing is that I know our community is always interested in learning about quantification or just ways of testing. And you mentioned that you run different tests and labs and look at different biomarkers. So, uh, maybe let's start there. Um, what are some
1: of the labs that you run with your clients? Sure. So we run now the same set of tests on every single person. And each person is an individual. They almost have a unique set of results. But the tools that we use, the tests that we use, they're almost the same. And so they are a very comprehensive blood chemistry. And that is a panel that was designed specifically for the types of people that we see who are athletes, especially masters endurance athletes like me. So that's me, right? I'm a 41-year-old mountain biker. And we work with a lot of guys Around about that age, who are interested in Ironman performance or maybe a slightly shorter distance triathlon, or maybe they're a cyclist or, um, you know, a swimmer, or, um, there's lots of other sports actually. Now I come to think of it, the the range is is widening. Tommy's working with a Formula One driver. We've got ice skaters. We've had NHL hockey players. We've got uh, an Olympic biathlete. Um, so really the, the, The the sports are all over the map, but Tommy designed that blood chemistry with the master's endurance athletes in mind. And then we also do urinary organic acids. So organic acids are just small molecules that appear in your urine. And by measuring them, we are able to map out several very important biochemical pathways. And I tell you what this is like. It's like when you take your car into the shop and they put it on the rolling road and they hook up that $50,000 machine from Bosch and the machine spits out a report and it tells you what's going on inside of the engine. And that's a bit like the organic acids test. And from that, you can make some very specific diagnoses and you can make some specific recommendations and really get the person fixed in a way that you wouldn't be able to without that information. And, and then what else do we do? We do the urinary uh, hormones. So we do this test called the DUTCH which looks at, again, it's, it's a similar sort of technology, looking at small molecules in the urine and then mapping out how the sex hormones are working. So cortisol, testosterone, three different types of estrogen, melatonin. They've recently added a very interesting marker to that test called 8-hydroxy-2-deoxyguanosine, which is a very um, good biomarker for aging um, and all kinds of other chronic disease. Uh, what else it looks at circadian rhythm so it actually maps out the cortisol over the course of the day so super duper important if your circadian rhythm is broken then everything's going to be broken and then we do yes. stool testing yeah you realize that you talked about that before on the podcast um and then we do stool testing so we look for overgrowth of opportunistic pathogens things like yeast fungus overgrowth of bacteria um some specific t- types of pathogenic bacteria that may be overgrown Protozoan parasites like Giardia, uh, Crypto, m um, histolytica we see occasionally. So these are you can think of these like vipers that may be lurking in your gut. And you can remove them fairly easily using nutritional supplements, herbs. Very occasionally we have to make a doctor referral. So we'll send someone to their doctor with a test result in their hand and say, hey, look at this, and, and the doctor will prescribe some antibiotics. But I'd say that's quite rare. And that's how we're fixing broken athletes. That's how we improve athletic performance. So that I think, again, is something that sets us apart is that most people like us, or certainly not your primary care doctor, are interested in improving your athletic performance. So, I mean, you can try this, go into your your primary caregiver's office and say, I'm interested in qualifying for the Boston Marathon. And the doctor will probably <laughs> say, I have a waiting room full of sick people. Please get out of my office. Uh, Even though (laughs) you know that that doctor with the knowledge of the human body probably could improve your exercise performance, but they're just not set up to do that, right? They're just not what they do.
0: Right, right. And yeah, oftentimes, yeah, just like you said, kind of being in their position too, it's just not part of their business model in the sense that even if they were interested, there's no way they could really bill for it effectively and fit it into their kind of uh, right. insurance based uh compensation model so
1: yeah that's a really um, important point that i've only recently come to fully appreciate so for the first 3 years i thought that that the healthcare system was broken that medicine was broken it just didn't work but that's not actually true and it was the ceo of uh, a new company called Viome i saw him present at a conference recently And he said that medicine's not broken, it's doing exactly what we designed it to do, which is to treat episodic acute illnesses, right? So maybe you're involved in a car accident, some sort of trauma, the hospitals do a fantastic job of fixing that stuff up. Maybe somehow you picked up some kind of infection and it wouldn't clear by itself and so you need to get some antibiotics or some other drug to clear that up. They do really, really good work there, but if you've got something that's been going on for a long time or you have a disease of modernity, then it medicine just doesn't fix those types of problems. So medicine's not broken. It's doing exactly what we think it should be doing. It's just right. not designed to improve athletic performance and it's not designed to treat chronic disease.
0: Yeah, it's it's a, that's a tough, complicated issue. And of course, we're talking about mainly in uh the us too i mean it's obviously there's different models in different parts of the world but um you know the other thing is then not to go far too, too far off on the down the rabbit hole but the uh the the culture around it too is kind of evolving in a negative direction in the sense that people are encouraged to try to use insurance which was originally designed for emergency situations basically to then pay for like routine exams and just routine things that
1: normally would
0: have were designed normally to be paid out of pocket in
1: the past or something right that's a really good point isn't it i like that analogy oh my car ran out of gas so i'm going to make an insurance claim maybe maybe progressive.com will pay for my gas (laughs) no they're not going to pay for that it's not what it's for
0: Exactly. So, um, but anyway, so no, that's, yeah, that's really interesting. I, I was just jotted a couple notes down. I mean, one of the things too that, um, so you mentioned a bunch of different tests and uh, we can talk about specifics of different ones and things, but it sounds like the overarching theme is that uh, really you're you're working with people who are interested in increasing uh, performance, but are open to the fact that, Perhaps it's not just that they need to train more or train harder or get it or even maybe even has much to do with the training plan at this point um that there's something underlying their condition that's either holding their progress back or um, causing them to decline or whatever it is um you know how do people typically is there like a common theme of when they decide to reach out to you?
1: Well, usually people are problem driven, right? So, you know, I mentioned some very specific problems that were motivating me to try and find help, uh, especially insomnia and low sex drive is another one that really motivates people to try and find a solution, but sometimes Mm -hmm. not, you know, we're working with an Olympian right now who he, he just wants to make sure that everything possible is working as well as it could in an olympic year right so right um, it's it's a slightly different goal with with no specific problems you're really looking for for problems that may not be presenting as symptoms and um, that in my experience like we don't i never see a set of normal test results right there's always something that can be improved on and so i think that is a good strategy to improve exercise performance especially in somebody who has many years or even decades of training experience you know do you really think that more of the same is is what's going to take you to the next level and for somebody who's competing at that level they're not really looking at one percent is a big margin for him right so yeah there's, there's definitely there's definitely different types of people
0: So stick with your analogy of the cars is, is it sounds like basically what you're saying is a lot of people have a situation where they have their foot on the gas and on the brakes at the same time. Yeah, that's a good analogy. Yeah, basically that, so on one hand, you have this Olympian who obviously has a powerful engine and they're really giving it lots of gas and they're just making sure that they may not accidentally be resting that foot on the brake pedal uh, in any area that they weren't aware of. And then you have all the way on the other end of the spectrum, potentially people who are semi-recreational but competitive athletes who um, would love to get more, power out of their car, but they may be heavily leaning on that brake pedal in different areas of their life. And you kind of do run some tests that kind of help
1: shed light on where those areas are and how to prevent that. Yeah. I mean, so that's why I say that I still identify as a computer programmer is because that's what I was doing when I was working at a hedge fund was identifying bugs in software. And usually those bugs were not in the code itself, but in the data. Right. So something changed in the data last week. Now this thing doesn't work. And so I'm taking an engineering approach, always trying to uncover the root causes of the problem. And then once I understand the root causes, only then am I going to make some changes. And that what that's what leads to the resolution of the problem. And I think you'll recognize that that's, that's kind of different from what the normal primary caregiver would do so to go back to my example i walked into the primary care doctor's office complaining with erectile dysfunction and he just wrote a prescription for viagra and sure that fixes the problem but you know did you really understand the root cause no of course you didn't there was no opportunity for you to understand the root cause because you didn't run any tests and you only had seven minutes to see me right? Right. It's kind of ridiculous. And, you know, the question is, is the the primary root cause, is that also causing issues elsewhere? So if you have some kind of problem with your vascular system, is that just manifesting in 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 the areas that you're concerned about with erectile dysfunction or is it systemic throughout your body and you know there's data on this that shows that there's a very strong association with cardiovascular problems and erectile dysfunction And, and that's what's going on here is the the inflammatory condition it's systemic it's not just localized so it's not good enough to ignore the underlying root causes you have to do that if you're going to successfully solve the problem
0: Right, and in symptomology, usually is just one expression of like a systemic. Everything's so linked
1: together. Right, Um, and we know Tommy always jokes that. The symptoms only line up with the diagnosis in medical exams, right? That's the only time <laughs> when somebody has actually crafted the whole question and the answer. That's the only time you see the symptoms match up with the disease. And every other time it's, it's all over the map. So the, the gut thing is a really good example of this you have a protozoan infection or maybe a yeast overgrowth and sometimes that manifests itself as weight gain sometimes it's brain fog sometimes you've got diarrhea sometimes you've got constipation it's just all over the map you really the symptoms are almost useless so
0: if you have somebody that just going off that example if you have somebody who's a kind of a high performer obviously since they've reached out to you they are willing to admit that there's probably something that is under the surface that needs fixing. Um, but is there like a scale of how accepting people are of the results and your, and what you tell them? Like, is there somebody who's like, okay, look, I'm just trying to get faster at swimming. Um, is a yeast overgrowth really that big of a deal or can I just focus on something else, um, in the short term?
1: Well, actually, in that example, the yeast overgrowth is probably the easiest thing you can fix, right? So you can take some nutritional supplements, maybe an extract of coconut oil, uh, maybe some other short chain fatty acids, maybe some botanical herbs. There's a product called biocidin that we really like, which is a herbal tincture. And I know from doing many, many organic acids tests that it works really, really well for killing yeast and fungus. So that's super easy, right? You just take a pill or you just put some drops on your tongue and the, the problem is solved. Where it gets more tricky is where the, the, the true meat is, where we get our most leverage, and that's through lifestyle modification. So I'll give you an example. And, and Jason, I'm sorry to repeat myself because we were talking about this yesterday when we were on the phone. But sure. for me... Um, walking has been an incredible challenge. You know, I've interviewed many experts on my podcast, and they all talk about how humans are upright bipedal organisms that were designed to walk, and bad shit happens when you don't walk, right? We know, I, I know that <laughs> from my own personal experience. I get a stiff back, my ankles start to hurt. I can't just be a mountain biker and expect to be healthy. But I still hate walking because it's slow and boring and not exciting compared to mountain biking. And so I just never do it. And then giving up my job and working from home made the problem even worse because now I didn't even have to walk to the, the BART station to get on to <laughs> ride the train to the you know my office and all of that. And so, and so like trying to find a way to motivate me to walk more has been a lot more challenging than treating a yeast overgrowth. And in the end, I had to get a dog and that's worked splendidly well. So that would, I would say, you know, it's those types of lifestyle modification uh, problems that we solve are um, um, actually much, much harder to solve than, than anything we find on the test results.
0: Yeah, that's powerful. I actually really liked what you said yesterday too, when we chatted was that you ended up discovering that you didn't have a a step tracking deficiency or a step deficiency you (laughs) had a dog deficiency
1: yeah yeah that's right it wasn't a a fitbit deficiency it turned out to be uh, a walk. yeah a dog deficiency that was primary to the walking deficiency (laughs) (laughs) that's great
0: so it sounds then like um, you know a lot of the testing that you do can actually have some Pretty straightforward protocols as far as supplements and herbal yeah. treatments and then the lifestyle interventions, which is where you get like a lot of the core uh, transformation Right, is some of the more challenging
1: implementation. Yeah, let me um, give you another example of that. So there's some really good epidemiological data that shows that being lonely is as dangerous to your health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And so it's one of the questions that we ask on our health assessment questionnaire is, I feel lonely. I feel part of a group of friends. And the thing that's so interesting about this is you can be surrounded by people. You could be an office worker in London surrounded literally by millions of people and still feel really lonely. And people talk about social isolation as being a problem for older people, but that's not true. It's a problem for people of all ages. And mm-hmm. as I said, it's so dangerous. So how do you how do you solve that problem? It's, it's 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 extremely challenging. It's extremely individual. You know, the one thing that works for me may not be the thing that works for you. And so, uh, you know, having all these different aspects of the program are, are, are quite difficult to manage.
0: Yeah. Do do you find that people open up to you honestly about that? Particularly, I mean, I I would think that. That's a challenging subject to broach, as are many psychological uh, hurdles. But, um, you know, and they haven't necessarily met you in person. So uh,
1: how does that typically go? Uh, Well, so you use closed ended questions, right? So if I'd I'd have said to the person, just given them a text area on a form and said, just type in all of your problems into this text area then nobody would tell me that they're lonely. But when you give somebody a very specific question, like in the last seven days, I felt lonely. And then the choices are radio buttons and it will say something like all the time, sometimes, often, you know, never, those types of closed-ended questions. And then all you have to do is click on a radio button and in that situation, right. people will be very forthcoming because it's not, I mean, it's you, you don't have to think about it very hard. It's like it takes you two seconds to answer that question um, and it's very direct and closed. And so that's how you extract this information out of people and then you know whether it's a concern and whether it's something that we need to project manage for you.
0: Okay. So we'll, we'll loop back around with some testing and supplements in a bit, but uh, kind of running with this is, uh, you know, then let's say somebody does indicate that they've experienced loneliness, have you, uh, and then you're able to uh, overcome the challenge of helping them through that. Um, Is that something, of course, like you said, people sign up for your program now in one-year increments, right? Right. So, you have a, a good amount of time to kind of chip away at something like that. Is that something that you've found then correlates to increases in performance if you're able to help with those types of things
1: yeah absolutely i mean humans are tribal creatures and when you put them back into a tribe they 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 just <laughs> they just do better in in every regard including uh, sports performance. But you know, we we have hit on perhaps one of the most important and difficult problems to solve. And so, you know, all I can do as a coach when I meet people on Zoom is I can talk about some of the other people that we've worked with and the things that they found to work for them. And, and so one example might be, uh, you know, a person that said, oh, I started volunteering at a local farm and I would meet people there and they would give me vegetables in return for my work. So not only did I get some really good quality food, but I also got to spend quality time with other people, and I, I really feel so much better since I was doing that. You know, for me personally, I have not done that, and and maybe I would get some benefit out of it, but I haven't tried. Uh, for me, actually, recently, it's funny. the The dog has been uh, it's been it has many benefits. So we live in the countryside here in in Bonnie Doon, which is near Santa Cruz in California and everybody you know that everybody's garden is pretty big and the houses that you can't really see one house from the other and and so mm-hmm. you really have to go out your way a little bit in order to meet your neighbors and because i would only whiz in and whiz out on my mountain bike i would never meet anyone but since i've been out two or three times a day walking the dog all of a sudden you you start meeting your neighbors right like oh and, and they turn out to be really interesting and nice people and when you've got a five-month-old puppy, of course, everybody wants to meet the dog, and so <laughs> for me, it's like solve that problem to a certain degree, as as well as the walking problem.
0: Well, there you go. So, folks listening, um, it's our favorite
1: biohack. <laughs> <laughs> there's
0: lots of shelters out there with uh, yeah. a- animals that need homes. So, um, that's yeah, that's that's really. There's so many side benefits to that. So that's that's a powerful anecdote as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And there's also some data emerging on, you know, so people, uh, so Rob Knight at the University of Boulder is doing research on this, looking at how pets affect the gut microbiome. So we're seeing lots of athletes that maybe have had multiple rounds of antibiotics. They're buying non-organic vegetables that may be laced with pesticides that may be affecting the gut microbiome. Uh, maybe they were born by ces- cesarean section and and so the gut microbiome has been altered in in ways that we don't fully appreciate but probably aren't good and then somehow i'm making a bit of a connection here they're picking up these opportunistic pathogens like i said giardia crypto uh, maybe some other things and you know these two things that they've they've got to be connected i'm sure of it and so maybe your pets they're bringing back the diversity to the gut microbiome and this is still an area of ongoing research but like i say rob knight at the university of boulder is looking into this and i I think some of that research is now starting to pop up in the popular media so maybe you've even seen some stuff in the local newspaper about this Mm
0: -hmm. yeah this is an area that i've actually been increasingly studying over the past couple of years just because um yeah i maybe not as a adept as Dr. Tommy would at absorbing everything, but I'm kind of a, a nerd for learning as well and try to get it tap into different areas. And I've definitely kind of come across the same research that, um, animal exposure definitely helps with microbiome diversity and, um, skin bacteria and, and stuff like that. And one of it could be, like you said, you're just going outside more. So you're exposing yourself to oh, yeah, yeah
1: that's a good point. Things.
0: Um, that way you're getting dirt on your hands. Um, the dog rolls around on the ground and you pet the dog and, um, and people used to spend a lot more time with dirty hands. And, uh, but, uh, what was I going to say about that? Oh yeah, yeah. There's, uh, um, a group that actually is monitoring, um, they're, they're running a study with our platform looking at, um, stress situations in children and uh using animal interventions basically to deal with psychological disorders and they're they're monitoring HRV and a number oh, of other amazing. parameters and uh yeah it's it just you reminded me of it because uh they're actually up there not too far from you i believe they're north of San Francisco and um yeah so essentially they bring these children who have Uh, various issues to this uh, farm or ranch, and they have animals there, like farm animals, horses and dogs, I'm sure, and things, and they they go through this, you know, kind of structured protocol of like learning how to groom the animals, learning how to care for them, um, interacting with them, and they're seeing some really, really positive results with self-confidence in these children, um, the ability for them to... Uh, you know uh, mitigate their depression or anxiety or whatever that they have um and or uh increase their ability to learn and just it's it's amazing what kind of results they're getting and they're trying to really quantify it um so that they can publish some of that data and uh make it available to people but um it is powerful stuff and you know who knows what all of the things that are playing into it it could be improvements in microbiome which we know that you know, the the gut bacteria uh, is so important that we're finding out it actually can affect your decision-making, it can affect your psychology, as well as your, of course, like your ability to absorb nutrients and like recover and all that stuff that ast- athletes are interested in as well. Um, and it, Or it could just be like that uh, mitigating some of that lonely feeling or uh, learning how to care for others when... Uh, we kind of grow up in a society where we can easily just shut ourselves in our room and look at a screen all day. We never right, really right. Um, learn that like interaction with others, uh, uh, the same way that we used to. Uh, so, anyways, I didn't mean to go
1: off all on that. You know, it's just no, really it's, very, it's a very important point. So, you know, I've been I recently interviewed Josh, the neurologist that I mentioned earlier. What you described—it's a game level intervention, right? So you're changing the game, whereas what modern medicine medicine tends to try and do is like a a source code level intervention right so they try to understand one gene one protein one enzyme and then let's create some kind of pharmaceutical that alters just one or two lines of code and then we'll do an experiment to make sure that that does what we think it does that it's efficacious and then we're going to try and do that we're just going to try and change that one or two lines of source code in every single person in the population and it just doesn't work like that you've described the game level intervention that you described i mean for sure it's not going to be ha- eliciting that benefit through one single pathway right one single protein or one single enzyme it's going to be changing millions of parameters all at the same time and so you could never hope to put that in a drug like it just drugs just don't work like that and so i i, I that has got to be the way forward i'm certain of it these game level interventions.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, as with anything, you really need to start with the big picture and then drill in. And uh, actually, that was one of the things I really liked about um, Paul Jaminé's book, The Perfect Health Diet, which is now, I guess it's five years since it was published in 2012. But, um, you know, he he's just got such a logical progression of thinking and he presents a way of looking at nutrition uh in the sense that first you have to look at the big picture and then within that big picture, you can start drilling into these different specifics, but you always need to keep the big picture in mind. Right. 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 Um, so yeah, no, that's really some powerful stuff in there. So, so what you run this series of tests over the course of a year or, or, uh, kind of coming back to your program is, um, you know, folks sign up uh, and in and typically in a year, I have uh, seen and heard that they tend to experience a lot of really positive results. Um, is this something that you run all these tests right up front, or uh, you kind of do it over the course of the year, or how do you decide like where to start with somebody?
1: Yeah, so we do the same suite of testing on everybody as they walk in the door, so we always have this baseline we I'd, one test i didn't actually measure is we look at exposure to environmental pollutants as well so that could be an issue for people and so everybody does the same set of baseline testing and then you know we meet we do what we call a scrum so this scrum thing this idea comes from um, agile the agile method you can google that and find out more about that and uh, the the idea is that we meet for, you know, an hour or so on video conference and I go through a big backlog of tasks that possibly could be performed and then we populate a to-do list with a two-week time frame in mind and then your job as the client is to move these sticky notes that we put on a virtual whiteboard fr- from the to-do column, put them into the doing or the done column. Uh, and then we go round again. So, two weeks' time, we're going to meet again. Did you get that stuff we talked about d- d- from last time done? Uh, if so, okay, well, let's pull some more things out of the backlog and then go around again in iterations. And typically, we don't do that many iterations with people. You know, people form new habits in two weeks or so, and there's not that many cars on our boards. So there's probably Probably I would like have to count them up one day, but, uh, yeah, this is not like there's the tens of thousands or anything like that. You know, there's, there's, there's probably a few hundred cards that you could possibly want to put in the, the to do column. And then what we do, you know, the results come back. I'm going to explain to the person what the results mean. We're going to recommend some nutritional supplements, which are included in the program to fix the problems that we found. And then we're going to redo the tests, all of the tests that found a problem. So if you do a test and it comes back and it's completely normal then I'm not sure there's much to be gained out of doing that test again. But for sure, if you found did a stool test and you found a parasite and you took some supplements or maybe even some antibiotics to treat that, then you want to make sure that the problem is gone, right, after you've done the treatment. And so all of the testing is included in the cost of the program. And then, uh, you know, we'll keep meeting with people. Julie, my wife, meets separately with people and she talks to them about their diet and we all use this same virtual whiteboard uh, to communicate so everybody now it's super cool because I can take someone like Tommy who generally performs a, a role a bit like an architect I can helicopter him in have him look at one of these boards this virtual whiteboard we call it a kanban board and that's another name that you can do a google search and find out what a kanban board is and Tommy can look at the kanban board, and he knows exactly what I've asked the person to do what they're doing and what they've already done and what might be in the backlog so it's a fantastic way for us to communicate that's so, that's so fun.
0: I mean, <laughs> yeah, I said this to you before the call when you were kind of outlining generally what you were, what you are after and, uh, being a software guy myself. Um, I was like, oh, that sounds like such a, a neat and interesting way to apply the software development agile process to, yeah. it's yeah. like, a people development. Yeah, um, I know.
1: It's just project management, isn't it? I'm not even sure. So it's very popular in software engineering, the use of this agile method, but I'm not sure it's specific to software at all. And in fact, I'm pretty sure the, the two guys that developed it in the 1950s, they worked for Toyota. So I don't think it was originally developed for software engineers, but it is perfect for software engineers because they're super lazy. Typically software engineers, they're like <laughs> if you just if you don't do anything, if you don't give them a very concrete to-do list, they just sit in their cube and don't do anything at all in my experience, including me. And so, you know, having a big hairy aspirational goal, breaking it down into subtasks, working in two-week sprints with a to-do list, I think is super important.
0: Yeah, I think well so what I'll do is I'll I'll rephrase it to give everyone the benefit of the doubt in the sense that um the what this does too, and I think you're right, it is I'm just exposed to it more from the tech side, but um is that you know, in general, if uh if you ask me if you gave me all the money I ever needed and told me I never had to work again, it's like what would you like to do today? Would you like to um work on some of these tasks that fix this one little thing that's kind of nagging? Um, or would you like to, you know, go for a go to the beach or something like that, right? Um, I don't know. This is, a, this is a bad story example, but essentially what I'm saying is like giving people a short-term concrete goal allows them to really focus and say like, okay, like I don't really want to be spending my time doing this that much, but... I know exactly what I need to do, so I'm just going to knock it out. And it's, it's short and digestible. And um, they always say, like, how do you eat an elephant? And, and the answer is one bite at a time, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, I mean, so
1: another benefit of doing things this way is that it can become overwhelming. If you listen to a lot of podcasts and you hear a lot of experts talking about a lot of different stuff, it becomes overwhelming. You're like, oh, which of these things apply to me? Which is the most important? And that it's in itself can start to become a stressor, which probably isn't good if you're struggling anyway. And so having somebody, as you say, break that elephant down into chunks and, and put them up on the whiteboard for you and so you can consume them one bite at a time, I think is really important.
0: Yeah, and so obviously since you run this panel of tests and you do this, um, you collect a lot of the same information from your clients initially is because you've found over the years, cause this is actually evolved. I know from yeah. Fenders, Balance, so you found over the years, kind of a common set of, uh, tests to run and questions to ask that most people, have issues with or at least sets you kind of pointing in the right direction is that how's that evolved
1: really yeah that's that's right so in the beginning what i would do is i would start with one test maybe that test would be a blood chemistry that seems like the most ubiquitous the cheapest the best place for anyone that's interested in doing some testing to start so we do a blood chemistry real blood quick, chemistry- what, the blood
0: chemistry so oh no. sure
1: so this is just the type of test that nearly everybody listening to this will have will have done in the past you know so uh, glucose hemoglobin a1c maybe insulin and then you've got some markers that are usually grouped together in in what's called a, a complete metabolic panel and then uh, a, a complete blood count Which would include, you know, red blood cells and hemoglobin and, and, and then different types of white blood cell. And that seems like a really good place to, to start to me. There's a, there's a great deal of information in there that. Your doctor probably isn't utilizing, in, in part because the standard reference ranges are not terribly useful. They're just two standard deviations either side of the, the average person that goes to the doctor. So the reference ranges are, are questionable at, at best. And so you do the blood test and it comes back and it doesn't, you don't like the, the way it looks, right? Your C reactive protein is seven. All that. Well, C reactive protein, it's a great marker to track. You know, it's inexpensive. It, it tells you how much systemic inflammation is going on. But it it's non-specific. It doesn't tell you what's causing that. You know, it could be I mean it's almost certainly gonna be something that going on in your gut in our experience. Like anybody with a C-reactive protein like that, they're either eating some food that they're still sensitive to. Or they have some kind of problem in their gut that can be revealed by the organic acids testing and the stool testing. And so then you've got this problem. Okay, I need to do a stool test and an organic acids test. So let's order those. And then you wait another three weeks and then those results come back. And then, you know, maybe you need to do one more test to finally narrow down. So the way that we work is... We start with a list of possibilities. Here are all the things that could possibly be wrong. And then we narrow it down to a list of probabilities. And then we take some action. And then we redo the test. That's how we work. And so that whole process, it could be dragged out from, you know, just three weeks to get all the tests done to the better part of a year, you know, when you're like kind of waiting for all these test results to come back. And in my experience, life's too short for that, you know, especially if you're an athlete And you're in your prime. Um, You know, I'll give you an example. I worked with someone recently that had the opportunity to go into Europe and race as a professional. Well, that person's not going to get, you know, 10 of those chances. They want to get this done as quickly as possible. And so in my experience, it's better for everybody concerned to just do all of the tests at once and just get it over with.
0: Yeah, that makes complete sense. So now you basically have come up with what I think you're calling it the elite performance program.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: Okay. And so the elite, in the Elite Performance Program, which is the way that if uh, if anyone was interested in working with you, they would go through that program is you start with a comprehensive panel up front, which includes a lot of these different tests and, and some questionnaires and things. And then you're immediately able to kind of say, okay, this is the direction I think we should steer the boat. And you start down that kind of agile uh, scrum development model um of getting the person as quickly as possible
1: to improvement that's exactly right yes awesome
0: okay cool so that's pretty powerful so you so in there um a couple of the tests that you mentioned i just wanted to ask questions about i mean so you mentioned the dutch test right in in circadian rhythm and i kind of like perked up a little bit about that um so the dutch test one of the the big Big differentiators of it is that it has you kind of measure throughout the day, right? Um, in in one of those uh, in one of their tests, at least, maybe it was the cortisol circadian rhythm test. You're kind of measuring cortisol at points throughout the day.
1: That's right. <laughs> yeah. So when I first started doing this work, we were using a similar but different test that was done in saliva, and so they were looking at free cortisol in a saliva sample. So you was, you would spit into a tube. And then later on, we moved over to this Dutch test that you pee on some filter paper several times during the course of the day. And the the thing that's really nice about the urine test is it allows you to look at all the different metabolites of cortisol and other hormones. So rather than just looking at the free fraction of the hormone, you're looking at the total amount produced and the metabolites. Like, So where did it go after you made it? Because that can make a difference. Uh, especially for the sex hormones like testosterone and estrogen and you can't do that in saliva the thing that was nice about the saliva test was it allowed you it had this time collection thing so urine tests did exist before the dutch test but they were just a 24-hour urine sample right so you were just all of your pee would go into a cup for the day and then you send it into the lab. And so you wouldn't have this circadian rhythm piece, which in our experience is perhaps the most important piece. So I've actually just happened to have some client test results open in front of me right now. And there's really not that much difference between this guy's before and after, apart from the shape of his cortisol awakening response and the way in which the cortisol tapers off during the course of the afternoon. So before it looked like he was a late afternoon person was probably his most productive time. And that's quite typical. And uh, now his, his circadian rhythm looks completely perfect. And I, I for me, that is a, a, a major win. I think the circadian rhythm piece is very important.
0: Oh, yeah, that's huge. I mean, that's really interesting to hear that based on the type of test that you run, you know, perhaps the total cortisol throughout the day didn't change too much, but that, right. yeah, the, that's the, exactly right. the pattern. It's changed. the pattern. Exactly. And that's powerful. I mean, like you were just saying, so uh, people have heard me talk about circadian rhythm before, um, and but I, I can't emphasize it enough that, you know, if, you may have run into this as well—that sleep and sleep quality and uh, that type of thing is so important for, especially for performers, but in anyone in general who's looking to improve their health or performance, needs to really get quality sleep. And one of the biggest players outside of like nutrition and uh, turning lights off and things is is optimizing your circadian rhythm so that your body is <laughs> set up to get good quality sleep and then pre- at night and then perform during the day. Um, so, I mean, that's just kind of my little soapbox thing. But um, is that what you're seeing as well?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it was so important for me personally. I was exactly the same. I used to have a bedroom full of electronics. I had a you know flat screen TV. I had an iPhone next to my bed, I used to listen to podcasts late at night, you know, I'd wake up in the middle of the night, I'd start watching the TV or listening to a podcast. It's it's just a complete disaster. You just cannot recover from any type of training effectively if you're not getting adequate sleep and getting adequate sleep almost certainly depends on having a proper circadian rhythm so nowadays i sleep right through the night i'm not waking up to pee anymore i just wake up and it's morning it's the most incredible thing it's almost an emotional experience like the laser eye surgery right where you Mm -hmm. you wake up in the morning you're like holy crap it's light outside it's time to get up i can't believe it whereas before it would be oh i'm awake again it's the middle of the night oh god it's gonna be several hours until i'm supposed to get up and it's you know a really horrible experience and yet for me it's it's all about that circadian part and the, the biggest thing that we see overlooked amongst the clients that we work with. So everybody's cottoned on to this light at night problem now, right? Everybody's running F.Lux, they're running night shift on their iPhone, or maybe they're hey. shutting down their laptops completely within a couple of hours of going to bed. People know about that stuff now. What seems to be more overlooked is the other end of that spectrum, right? So what you do during the first part of the day. So again, it's like the dog is an- another win for the dog. Like the dog, it wants to go <laughs> outside and take a piss, right? That's what dogs do when they've been inside the house all night. And so the dog is chewing my leg off to go outside. So we go outside and i well, since I'm outside, I might as well go for a 20 minute walk. And then as soon as I get home, I have breakfast and both of those things, the movement, the sunshine and then eating immediately after those things are zeitgebers which just is a fancy way of saying they are time givers they are things that entrain circadian rhythm and so it's not just about what you don't do at night it's about what you do first thing in the morning and that these are these are all things that that might appear on on the kanban board right so i'm going to have this jamming session or a scrum as they call it with the client and find out what they're doing and then we're going to project manage their life a little bit to establish some new routines to and train their circadian rhythm and that's exactly what we did with the guy that i've just talked about his test results was that's how he fixed his circadian rhythm but once it, it's interesting because really you have to see this mapped out in cortisol in order to know that you really have the problem and that you really need to do something about it do you know like some people they kind of had the suspicion that maybe their circadian rhythm's off but it's only once you've done the test and you see it Um, with certainty that you really start to own that problem and and be willing to make a change.
0: Yeah. So that comes back to the whole quantification concept and measuring Right. um, in the quote that you said from Dan Party, which I love, which maybe you could say it because you say it better than I.
1: Oh, yeah. So Dan Party, I did an interview with him late last year and he said to me, you don't want to track the end result. You want to track the behaviors that get you the end result right? So people, I think, are using some of the quantified self-technology inappropriately, right? So maybe you're looking at your HRV every day and you're like, well, I still suck. still really low. What am I going to do? Oh, well, maybe it'll get better tomorrow. And you might say the same thing about the number of steps that you do, or maybe you're fasting blood glucose, or maybe the number of hours that you slept last night. And so what you need to do is not more of the tracking of the actual thing itself. It's to start thinking about some of the behavior change that you need to undergo in order to make that improvement. So for me, you know, in order to walk more steps, I needed to get a dog. And in order to sleep better, I needed to pay attention to my circadian rhythm. And so right. really, it's about it's about tracking the behaviors. Like maybe you need something on your wrist that buzzes that tells you it's time to go to bed or it's time to close the laptop or it's time to get up and walk around or time to do something else you know i hate i hate the idea of outsourcing everything to a machine i think that (laughs) that being mindful and paying attention to what your body is trying to tell you is very important but these technologies they still can be helpful
0: yeah that's where i think there's like a crossroads between um certain things are useful for awareness And then uh, other things are useful for, um, basically, like you were just saying, measuring um, whether or not you're making change in your behavior. Those types of things are kind of what what I always typically refer to as context. You're adding context to why you're tracking anything to begin with. So, like the circadian rhythm pattern, if you weren't there to interpret that uh, result and tell somebody, okay, well... So, so okay, so what? You measured my cortisol throughout the day. It's uh, high in the afternoon and low in the morning, which is like basically backwards. And um, so what? And so, then you say, okay, well, let's add some context to that. If we set this circadian rhythm back to its natural pattern, then what you will experience or what people typically experience rather, because you can never say if somebody will for sure experience something, but, um, what people typically experience is X, Y, Z, you're, you won't be waking up or you won't, uh, you know, you'll get much more restful sleep. It'll be easier to get up in the morning without having to force yourself. Uh, you may not be hungry late at night. Um, you know, you'll be able to go longer without eating. So you don't feel like you need to eat every few hours, all these other side benefits, but, um, and then and of course, okay. is the,
1: I mean, so when you look in the medical literature as well, there's uh, very strong associations between chronic diseases and mental health disorders. So schizophrenia, depression, obesity, type 2 diabetes, autoimmunity, certain types of cancer. You see disruptions in circadian rhythm in all of those things, right? So it's not just about you know, feeling slightly more awesome. It's about avoiding these diseases of, of the modern civilization
0: right oh yeah and two things real quick before i forget is just to give people an idea they're like oh i have to um pee on this test strip like several times a day for the rest of my life no it's just <laughs> it's a it's a one time or like a one day test right exactly
1: yeah, right. yeah. it's so, i mean i i wish the tests were easy to do it's it's not I wouldn't like to say that it's trivial, right? You've got four pieces of filter paper to pee on at a certain time of day. So it's not as easy as falling off a log, but it's for some people not as difficult as going to the lab. So yeah, not trivial, but you only do them, you know, you do one set of testing and then you're going to do another set of testing to confirm the the problems are fixed. But yeah, we're not going to get you to do testing every single day.
0: Okay, so then... Some of the, the, I know we've been going an hour, but um, this is really interesting stuff that I think people really enjoy. Um, Do you have time for like a couple more questions? Okay. Um, So stool pathogens and stool testing. uh, How often when people come in, you know, they've got a performance issue, they can't figure it out. How often is something showing up in the stool test that it needs addressing on average?
1: All the time, all the time. So... You know, I talked about circadian rhythm being important. I think it is. If if you were looking for the eighty twenty rule in all of this, it would be in the gut, right? So I think the athletes are particularly susceptible to gut problems. For a variety of reasons, like maybe they're eating a ton of simple carbohydrates, acellular carbohydrates is perhaps the technical term that would allow people to look up more information on this. But these acellular carbohydrates, the maltodextrin gels and drinks and sports nutrition products, they may be promoting a dysbiotic gut microbiota so they're causing problems in your gut and then you add on top of that the stress of doing endurance exercise in particular where you're going hours and hours and hours with the blood supply to the gut being removed and then when you do stop exercising there may be what they call a reperfusion injury so all of that blood has been directed to the exercising skeletal muscle and then you stop Or the blood suddenly goes back to the gut and you see some kind of injury there or inflammation. And so I think this creates an environment that's just right for yeast to grow or just right for you to pick up a protozoan parasite when you did that olympic distance triathlon and it started with a swim right you could be maybe maybe that's the, the combination going on there and so <laughs> yeah. nearly everyone that we see has got something going on in their gut and when we fix what's going on in their gut that can often have some desirable downstream changes right so maybe you've developed some micronutrient deficiency because you're not absorbing it from your otherwise excellent diet And so it may be helpful to fix that nutritional deficiency with a supplement in the beginning, but really the long-term solution is to fix what's going on in your gut.
0: Right. And I think that's an important point. That last point you made there is that, um, you know, definitely there are supplements that can be helpful to fill micronutrient gaps. And we've talked, I've talked about them in other podcasts about how helpful they can be to kind of get you back on the right track. In fact, you mentioned it already too in this that you have gone through many phases of different supplements to help you. Um, but the the overarching thing to remember is that if you're if there's some kind of inflammatory action or some kind of pathogen or something that's messing up your gut, regardless if you're supplementing, you may not be absorbing it correctly, and you really need to in the long term, address that. Otherwise, you're just either going to be supplementing your the rest of your life or you're really not going to get the results even if you do supplement correctly. Is that is that kind of right?
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And so there's other problems that can be caused by what's going on in the gut as well. So I mentioned at the start that my fasting blood glucose was 120 milligrams per deciliter, which is diabetic. It's just diabetic. It's not even pre-diabetic. It's diabetic. And I'm certain now that what was going on was I had a whole bunch of gut dysbiosis and that was inducing insulin resistance. So... There's this fancy word endotoxin, which is, just means that toxins that are produced in the gut are crossing the gut wall, ending up in the bloodstream, and that's inducing insulin resistance. So that's resistance to this important hormone, insulin. And then the blood sugar goes totally out of whack. And, you know, the, the solution is not to take metformin. it's to, It's to solve the problem in your gut, right? Like that's how you fix it.
0: Right. And that's, yeah, that's pretty powerful. So you you mentioned you do use um, supplements and herbs and different things. Uh, what are some of the common ones? Just, uh, you know, obviously you uh, are fairly targeted in what you use, but what are some of the common ones that you find helpful for people?
1: Uh, Artemisia is really good uh, for a number of different parasites. We've had great results with that. Uh, Oregano oil can be very good for a number of things, bacterial and yeast overgrowth. We've had really good results with, um, there's a company called Rain Trees Formulas that make a wide variety of uh, rainforest herbs. And we've had really good results with those. Uh, Biocidin, I think I mentioned, is a herbal tincture. Uh, What else? Uh, Caprylic, which is just one of the fatty acids in in coconut oil. Uh, Some of the probiotics can actually be quite uh, antifungal including bifidobacteria. Uh, we have um, Saccharomyces boulardii, seems to work really well for displacing clostridia. One of the things we measure on the organic acids test is lots of different types of clostridia, uh, which are pretty all pretty evil. There's one in particular, uh, C. diff, that causes a very nasty colitis that actually causes uh, several thousand deaths in the US each year. And we do see people with uh, toxins, so we don't we look at the indirectly at the amount of clostridia growth on the organic acids, and then we also look at the toxins the a and b toxins that the the clostridia produce on the stool tests. And we've had really good results by having people supplement with very high doses of Saccharomyces boulardii to displace. So the Saccharomyces boulardii, it's a, it's a yeast, but it doesn't take up residency in the gut. But it does seem to displace the Clostridia temporarily. And then something else takes its space, right? The gut, as soon as you clear some space, something else is going to occupy it. And uh, that's been working really well. So that kind of gives you an idea of some of the supplements we're using to improve people's gut health powerful so
0: we've covered a lot um i think this is a good place to wrap up but i want i want people to understand too uh where they can find you and i'm sure given the amount of information we've covered that there's going to be some interest in your elite performance program because i know you've piqued my interest for sure (laughs) um so where can people find you and check that out
1: sure nourishbalancethrive.com is my website and you'll find everything you need right there on the front page of that website including there's a button that you can press to schedule an online appointment to talk to either Amelia who's my registered nurse or my wife Julie do these free starter sessions for the Elite Performance Programme and the first thing they try and do is is help you, right? So if you're suffering from some specific problems at the moment, there's a really good chance that the girls are going to be able to help you with that right off the bat within a few minutes. And then what they do is they take a, a close look at your history and they explain how our program works and we can decide whether or not we're a good fit for each other. And yeah, take it from there. So nourishbalancethrive.com and click the button on the front page of the website to book a free starter session.
0: That's fantastic. And I mean, if I can add anything to that, it's that, um, it's really awesome that you guys give the, that y'all give a free kind of consultation up front and you know, as well as anyone that, uh, and this is another thing I, I love about you, Chris, is that you're very straightened to the point, <laughs> um, and that you'll be the first to say like, Hey, maybe we're not a good fit, um, or we are a good fit and that you would rather not try to force somebody. Uh, into the program that wasn't a good fit, so it's great that you guys uh, do that up front. Um, yeah, dang, it. I said this is a, this is an aside, uh, a little tangent. We'll come back. <laughs> I said you guys twice in that paragraph, and I had somebody reach out saying uh, uh, about how they would uh, prefer <laughs> more inclusive terminology. So, y'all, I'm y'all. from Texas, people. Uh, Uh, You people, I'm from Texas, and y'all will stick in my vocabulary. So, um, y'all, it's great that y'all do that. Um, But anyways, uh, so that's nourishbalancedrive.com, and it's the elite performance program. And basically, anyone that's looking to, that has a performance goal and is either, like you said, on the end of, all the way up to the Olympic spectrum um, all the way down to like recreational semi-competitive um, and looking to really boost the results, then that's the place to go to get the uh, the coaching and, and the testing and be part of that Scrum Agile team. Um, so that's pretty exciting stuff.
1: <laughs> it is, thank you. I appreciate that.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, I again, I appreciate you taking the time to come on. Uh, if anybody has questions for Chris, Um, or myself, you know, feel free to head on over to the show notes page, EliteHRV.com slash podcast. Um, Leave a comment there or message us. I'll put links to Chris and to our discussion points there as well. Um, And just as a quick wrap up, Um, you know, I, I try to sprinkle these in every few episodes. If you're enjoying the show and you want to leave some feedback, head on over to iTunes and check out the Elite HRV podcast on there and drop a review. Highly appreciated. Uh, It helps me rope, uh, awesome people like Chris in to get him to come onto the show to say, Hey, look at all the great things people are saying. (laughs) So that's my shameless plug. Um, and again,
1: Chris, really appreciate your time. You know, it's my pleasure. I'm going on to, I always forget, you know, there's all these podcasts that I listen to and they're all great and they've all given me so much information. And then I always forget to go on to iTunes and leave a review. So I've just Google searched uh, Elite HRV iTunes and I found it right away. So I'm going to leave a review for you as we speak.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that. You know, part of it is a lot of people do listen from iOS and they can click it They can actually leave a review right in their podcast app, but a lot of people don't listen on an iPhone or an iPad. And Mm. unfortunately for podcasting, uh, iTunes is like the most important place to get a review. So, uh, it really helps the show grow. And a lot of people are like, well, I have Android or or Windows. And I say, I wish I could tell you that there was a better place, but uh, if you... Love me enough, you'll install iTunes and leave a review. <laughs> um, yeah. But otherwise, you know, feel free to listen because uh, happy to share all this info. But uh, yeah, thanks for... I appreciate your review, Chris.
1: <laughs> okay, I'm writing it now. You've only got 11. I think we can do a lot better. People listening, we, I think Jason can do a lot better than 11 reviews. Don't you think? I think you've got to get on to iTunes and leave a review right now. There you go.
0: I'll, I'll take the... Uh, there's some other underlying story to that in the sense that it is regional, uh, so it only shows you reviews uh, that have been near you but i will go ahead and take the sympathy vote this time and say okay. yeah we we can do better than 11 we can all do right. a lot better
1: than 11 yeah for sure
0: <laughs> all right well we'll wrap up on that all the links will be in the show notes page and really appreciate your time here chris and i definitely encourage people to go check out nourish balance thrive and the elite performance program
1: thank you jason it's a, been a pleasure all right take care jason.
0: Sponsored by HRVCourse.com. Truly understand the science and mechanisms behind heart rate variability and how to apply them towards your goals. Use discount code podcast for 10% off your first HRV course. That's all one word, Elite Podcast. Visit HRvCourse.com to get access today.